Welcome to the Gathering Place Church weekly podcast. We hope today's message ignites, equips, and challenges you to live out your Christian faith and to bring healing to a broken world. I was just thinking, this came to me, talking about being caught up in his presences. It's one thing to be arrested by the presence of God, to be caught up in it. But we just don't get caught up in it for the sake of getting caught up in it, which is what Sister Kim was saying. But you got to be caught up in it in order to extend it. We got to be able, we want to take it and extend it into our world, into our families. And you even think about the moment that happened at Paycourt Stadium, Bengals versus Bills last week, the whole world on Monday was watching. And look at the headlines, look at the news of the entire country praying again. How prayer is once again back in the NFL and let's pray it stays there. We had, yeah. How a moment of tragedy literally has touched the heart of our country and and the heart of the world. And we, you're even following it, you're seeing the progression, you're seeing the healing where there's, um, he's sending tweets out. And I mean, it's just an awesome story to be following of seeing God's plan at work from something and from a moment that we didn't expect. And I don't know about you, but I'm very proud of our city, very proud of the Cincinnati Bengals and Coach Zach Taylor and all those involved in just watching this process play out. But our country's praying, and Seth, you're a Twitter guy, I'm not, help me on this, but I think one of the trends Monday or Tuesday was, who is Jesus Christ or something along the lines of of prayer that people begin to take notice and begin questioning and begin searching. And this speaks to a void that's there I mean, it's exciting that that's a search, but really, in America, how is that a popular search of who is Jesus? You would think with all the churches, all the music, all the media, that people would have an idea of Jesus. But look how a moment of God's presence invading Paycor Stadium, everyone on their knees praying, even in the games last night, you saw players still praying. We saw millions of views on ESPN of announcers stopping in the middle of their program and praying. And this is amazing. This is miraculous. And as you see all of this happening, my heart is that what is happening here, because something special is happening, and I believe we're going up this mountain, and Vision Sunday, it's all going to make sense in what direction we're heading in. But I believe God's presence is just bathing us right now for what we're about to step into as a church, how we're gonna be a light to our community, how we're gonna extend out what God is doing here. And so I just wanna take a moment and, and pray before we get into God's word. If you bow your head with me, Jesus, we thank you. That is the world is praying. How much more should the church be praying, seeking your face, getting in your presence? Father, we surrender to this today. God, just as we see light shining forth, just as we see the flame that's been started through a tragedy, through an injury, Father, we ask that your presence would arrest us today. Wherever we're bucking you, wherever we're fighting you, wherever we're feeling maybe it's too foolish to surrender, to 
to let down, to let go, to come to that place to say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus has been given the name above every name and I choose to surrender to that name today. Jesus, we're a church that is surrendered, that is postured and ready to receive what you have for us this year, this day, and this moment. God, we thank you that these moments aren't an accident. We wanna be equipped. We wanna be caught up in it so we can extend it. God, let what we happens in this space today invade all the other spaces of our life. Jesus, you've put a fire in our bones. No matter the pain, the circumstance, the trial, the tribulation, the suffering, the doubt, the fear, just as Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, began to lament, he said, in spite of all of that, there is a fire in my bones. Light the flame today as we get in your word, because it was the word he went back to at his call. You knew him before he was formed in his mother's womb. You called him as a prophet to the nations. Let us remember our call today that we are priests, kings, and prophets. We have a heavenly calling on our lives and we nurture that and nourish it today in your word, with your people and your house, empowered by your spirit. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, you can be seated and want to welcome everyone tuning in online today as well. Um, we're thankful you're here and believe that you're going to be blessed today. And uh, as we said, everyone, you're getting in a new seat. We're stirring some change up in everybody. Change is always good. Pastor Joyce um, has said for years, change brings growth and growth brings change. You know this. And you're like, ah, it's a, a little chair. Usually it's the petty little changes that, that get under our skin sometimes. Um, but I'm excited for, um, I, I, there's certain changes I like and there's other certain changes you resist. But change can be refreshing if you get in the mind and the attitude of Christ. So allow the changes that are coming in 2023 in your life, your family, um, to see the good in it, see the silver lining in it. Uh, because I believe if you don't get lost in translation, you're going to miss what God's doing uh, in the, the pattern and the path of change. But I want to talk today um, and... I've titled the message, Do What He Tells You to Do, and it's gonna make sense here in a minute as we get into the gospel story. Um, but I'm gonna talk about a word today that I think every one of us struggle with. I'm gonna talk about a word today that, if we're honest, we don't like. Uh, I'm gonna talk about obedience. Anybody like to obey? It comes naturally. You're quick to, to walk in obedience. I don't know about you, but obedience, I think, is one of the toughest things, one of the hardest virtues we have to come to grip with. Because when it comes to obedience, um, and I was trying to think, maybe I could title it faithfulness. Kind of takes a little bit of the bite out of it. We love to be faithful, but really faithfulness is a byproduct of obedience because what you're obedient to, you're faithful to. Many times we say, I live this faithful life, and we do, but your faithfulness is connected to your obedience. And we're gonna to see today that um, Jesus teaches us, he models to us, we even read in Philippians 2, 
of an obedient life, obedient to him, obedient to his word. And when we choose to be obedient, here's the big idea, is we can be obedient because someone tells us to do something. A parent tells a child, do X, Y, Z. And a lot of the times, begrudgingly, okay, I have to be obedient to this, you're my authority. There's that kind of obedience. But I wanna get you to the place today to where you're obedient because when you love someone, being obedient is not hard. You want to be obedient because you love that person, because they love you. And many of us, when we're obedient in our own strength, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, it's we do things begrudgingly. We do things because we have to. We show up to church because that's the right thing to do. We open our Bibles because it's a discipline, which is good, but you gotta get into the interior of it and say, I'm doing this because I'm head over heels in love with Jesus, and it is a joy to be obedient. And the reason we're not obedient is because we can't be obedient to somebody we don't know or that we don't love or that we don't know that loves us. If you know someone is asking you to do something hard and you're not quite sure that they have your best in mind, if they're not loving towards you, you're going to be skeptical, you're going to be critical, and you're probably not going to go in at 110%. You're going to put some safeguards up, you're going to put some boundaries up. Because just in case at the end of that obedience, it could let you down or it could fail you. So we take this, a lot of the times, this human reasoning into obedience with God. And as a church father by the name of Maximilian Kolbe says, obedience doesn't come through reason, it comes through faith. Because if you take reason into obedience with God, you count the cost, you look at the bottom line, you got all your numbers in order, um, it's not gonna make me look foolish on the other side of it. Cause you gotta know this too about our God is a lot of the times obedience can make us look foolish on the other side of it. Make us look a little crazy. Make us look a little maybe irrelevant or go into a season of, of, of obscurity. So you've gotta know that re obedience doesn't come through reason, but it becomes supernatural when you do it in a spirit of faith because Whatever he's asking me to do, I'm doing it. Whatever he says, that's what I want to do. I want you to look at scripture today, and I believe David really encapsulates this. We love David because he lived at extreme highs, and he also lived at extreme lows. But his approval rating still comes out pretty strong at the end of the day, right? He did a lot of good, and he did a lot of bad. But I think because of his honesty, because of his obedience, um, I thought that was an angel in white walking around. <laughs> it is, yes. Um, <laughs> right, yeah. Got the white on. Yeah, we'll do angel today. But when we think of, of David, I believe this encapsulates his heart. And I pray it's, this is our perpetual, consistent heart. And it's Psalms 27, 4, you know it. It says, the one thing I ask of the Lord. So this is his top of his list. This is his priority. The thing I seek most. We could just time out right there. Ask yourself in 2023, what are you seeking most? What are you asking of God? We're gonna, you're reading ahead, you see David's response. But internalize it personalize it. What are you asking God most? What are you seeking most? 
Could it be this carrot that's dangling in front of your head for something you want, but it's not God's intent, God's heart? Could it be, maybe you're on point, maybe it's, I want to keep God's first, I want to seek first his kingdom. I don't want busy to always be my excuse, or I don't want, um, I'm distracted, or I have too much going on to be my excuse. But David had his, his, his eyesight right. He had his focus fixed. And he says, this is the thing above everything else, because other things we seek aren't bad, right? They, but the order is important of where and how we seek them. This was his, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Now, at a shallow level, well, pastor, are you saying I just got to come to church? Like, this is a pastor's favorite scripture, because you're seeking God, get in God's house, come on. Straight up, perfect attendance. Yes, but even deeper, look at this. It's whatever your seek is, it has to first and foremost lead you to the presence of God. And the house of God is a part of that, yes. But ultimately, what you're seeking is it leading you to the presence of God because you've got to be caught up in it in order to extend it. So if you're not caught up in God's presence as David was, then you're going to do things in your own strength. Your plans, your purposes are going to fall short because they're not prioritized of seeking him first. And this was David's heart. The thing I seek most was to be in God's house, the Lord of all days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. This was his closeness to God. And I honestly feel the one thing that could be killing parts of your life that are you're allowing to rebellion to foster in different areas, you're allowing yourself to be distracted is because you've not surrendered and you're not obedient. Because again, obedience doesn't come on coast mode. Obedience is a choice. Obedience is a practice. Obedience is a work. Obedience is a place of submitting your will to his will. And if we're talking words that are on people's hot list, it's not obedience, submission, authority. These are things that are nasty when we hear them come through our ears. Um, and so, Usually that which our culture is rejecting is usually the place that Jesus has some things to speak into. And I'm telling you today, if you can get on track as David did, the thing I seek most, he was obedient to what God was putting in his heart, what God was speaking to him. Because you gotta think what happens because of disobedience. And we look at our first parents, Adam and Eve. They walked in union with God they had freedom with God. And when you get into the story of Adam and Eve, there's this really cool, um, really exciting um, phrase, scripture that Jesus, or that God says. And before he tells them what they're not supposed to do, which is eat of the tree, the one tree, you can have everything else. He says this, you go and read it, read it. He says, you're free. You're free. And this is the place of when we're caught up in God's presence guess what? That's the freest you'll ever be. When you're living by God's design, that is the freest you'll ever be. And ultimately, our heart's posture, what is rooted in the, in the deepest recesses of our lives is we want to be free. All of us want to be free, but we go about so many different ways of what we think will make us free. And where disobedience is, Adam and Eve were free. He says, you're free, but don't eat of this one tree. And how many times is that is you can have anything and everything you want in this room, but you can't have this. And it's this 
that captivates your thought. It's this that you get tempted to, but you can go and pick anything else you want. This is how the enemy works. He gets you so focused on this when look at the freedom you have everywhere else. So Adam and Eve are free. They're in union with God. They eat of the tree. Three things happen. Eat of the fruit. It says that shame comes, separation from God comes, and ultimately death comes, which is separation from God. They leave the garden. That union is broken. So that's the taste, the fruit, the bitterness of disobedience, separation from God, shame, because we used our freedom to sin, not freedom to obey Jesus more fully, to extend his kingdom, extend his work. I feel bad for taking a drink of this, but this is going to happen. To freedom. (laughs) Yeah, bad example today. I set myself up. So we see this in Adam and Eve. But like I'm saying, obedience can change in your life because I'm not trying to water down obedience. I'm trying to get you to look at it. It is one of the greatest things. If you can master it, if you can, if you can get your hands around it, it will bring you freedom. It will fix your focus, and it will get you moving quickly toward God's purpose and plan for your life. Submit your will to his. It's the greatest thing, but it's also the hardest thing you'll ever do because it's every day. But his presence is the salve. It animates your life. It puts his spirit in you where you can say yes, even when you see a cross in front of you. John 14, 21, Jesus tells us this. He says, those who accept my commandments and what? And obey them. Those who accept them and those who obey them are the ones who love me. Real biblical, Christ-like love are Christians that obey what he says. Not just in word, but look what it says. It's indeed when you're obeying him. We'll see that in another place of scripture. It says, the ones who love me, and because they love me, my father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. If you want God to reveal a little bit more of himself, if you want to grow more fully with him, start obeying him. And don't just be a cafeteria Christian. Don't just pick where it's easy to obey. Oh, I'll get a little bit of grace, get a little bit of mercy. But wait a second, I actually have to submit over here? I don't want to do that. Can I just stay over with grace and mercy but keep authority and submission? Way over here. But when you obey the whole counsel of God's word, you get a full appetite, a five-course meal. You just don't go over to the dessert, but you get the protein. That's where synergy and everything starts being cohesive and you're obeying what God is speaking and what's already revealed, not what you think you heard from God, but if you want to hear God's voice, open God's word, and that's what you're going to know, you're going to know what he's saying. And line up what you're hearing from God with what's already revealed to say, is that God or is that breakfast from yesterday? Because we're all prone to getting it wrong. We're all prone to maybe listen, listening to a feeling over a fact, but we've got to always check it. But we thank God because he first uh, woos us into hearing his voice. He captivates us. We're smitten with him. But then we've got to go to really getting to know him. It's just like a first date. You can't know somebody in a first date. And many Christians, they just keep going on a first date with Jesus, right? They come to church for Christmas and Easter, and they just keep dating Jesus, but they don't get into the nitty-gritty and get into the meat. They're still on the milk 
of the word. We've got to get into it in 2023. So we've got to obey him because obedience is the key to being an authentic follower of Christ. And as hard as this may sound, don't tell me you love God if you don't obey God. Don't tell me that because it's interconnected. You love him, you obey him. It's what goes together. Think of this. Um, you know, at times we, some of the biggest moments of change or conviction in my life is when I've disappointed somebody. Quite frankly, when I've disappointed somebody that I love the most, a spouse, a parent. I can remember in high school, on occasion I would do something bad, okay? On occasion. And I can remember thinking I'm getting away with something, thinking you've devised the plan where you can sneak through whatever. You know how teenagers do. And then you come back home. You even come back home right before curfew. And then there's mom waiting to just bust up your plans that you thought you had conveyed and were so good at to get all, dot your I's and cross your T's, right? And I can remember several occasions in that time of where having a hard conversation, and mom and dad didn't necessarily say it, but I could see it, that I've disappointed them. I could feel it, see it on their face. And when you're having that conversation, you're feeling that disappointment, it's like everything that you put together, none of it means anything because you're in the moment of just disappointment. And I was thinking about disappointment. Disappointment isn't a bad thing because if you feel disappointment, it means you love and respect that person dearly. And vice versa, they love and respect you. They care enough. And I think many times we blow past these disappointments and if you even um, flesh it out into our relationship with God, God loves us even though we disappoint him because guess what? We do disappoint God when we sin, when we fall short. But the nature of Jesus, because God's always been like Jesus, there hasn't a day he's never been like Jesus, we just didn't always know it, is God comes to us, he leaves the 99 and goes after the one that disappointed. And he shows grace and mercy, puts them on his shoulders, carries them home. So you've got to see that in this thing of, of, of getting more fully obedient to God's word, to God's ways, you can't allow disappointment. You've got to channel it into conviction and say, you know what, God is closer than I think. And when I mess up, when I fail, when I fall short, because I will, because I'm human, I run to him, I don't run away from him. And I can remember those moments of, of taking the, the awkwardness and the disappointment that was in that conversation. Guess what, I changed on the other side of that because I didn't want to repeat that and I didn't want to disappoint it. And it wasn't because shame was coming from mom and dad. It was, we love you, we care about you, we want what's best for you. And I knew that so I could swallow the hard truth that came. The same is with God. When we fall short and come to him, he's not putting shame on you. It's conviction in order to get you to God's best. And when you're obedient, it's always to get to God's best. It, it might not look like what's best for you, but... It's how God, in the process of who he is, how he works. Look at this, Matthew 7, 24. Because here's the thing, and a, a part of my prayer is, if something I've built in my life, a relationship, a business, an investment, a, um, a conversation, 
a uh, even uh, something I'm, I'm thinking, writing, preparing. If it's not built on the right foundation, blow it up. Blow it away. Because foundation is everything. Look what it says here. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. That's who we want to be. And they're like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes, the torrents and the floodwaters, and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it was built on bedrock. Then it goes into the foolish one. And, you know, one teaching or one translation says, it's anyone who hears the word of his and does it. You hear it and then you do it. James talks about this, not just being hearers, but doers. See, we, if we're not careful in the world of being obedient, you've got to hear it and then you've got to do it. You just don't hear it and you feel good in the moment. You just don't get caught up in it. But to get to the extending of it is in the doing of the revelation or the truth or the conviction you're hearing. See, many of us will just keep circling and circling and circling because we hear it. We know what we should be doing, but we never actually put feet and do it. And if I, you can hear anything today, just begin to do it. Move in faith. Don't move in reason all the time. And begin to trust God at his word because the foundation is important. And this year, build the, the foundation of your year on his word and go and do it. You know, I think of this and um, on the importance of extending it and, and two stories I want to look at quickly and, and I want to summarize is there's a lot of different um, passages in the Bible that have to deal with food, have to deal with wine, have to deal with uh, a meal. You see a lot of the gospel stories that have a meal around it. And a lot of these stories you read in the gospel that have to do with the meal are a foretaste, foreshadow, a preparation for the the mystical meal, the final meal known as the Last Supper, when Jesus would give us the new covenant. So he's giving a foretaste to his apostles, to Gentiles, to Jews, in these Bible stories, in these gospel stories, of seeing Jesus around bread, seeing Jesus around wine. There's the famous story we all know, Jesus feeds the 5,000. We see the miracle of not him just feeding 5,000 men, but actually close to 15 to 18,000 with women and children present. And I want you to see this, um, of how this all connects back into the body and the blood of Jesus, of having communion. Because when Adam and Eve, again, go back to the beginning, when they sinned, when they fell short, they broke union and communion. The body and blood of Jesus that is represented in communion is a reminder that be obedient and stay in union. His body and his blood, forgiveness is is available. It is inexhaustible and it is continually ready to be poured out on you when you choose to receive it. Because you got to remember, you get what you choose, right? You have to choose grace. You have to choose forgiveness. It's coming after you, but you can still turn your back on it. And a lot of people do. That's how the enemy deceives us. And so look at the feeding of the 5,000 because you might be here today, and I believe this is a word for somebody who says, I don't have the capacity. I've messed up too much. I don't know how God can take my nothing, take what little I have and do something with it. So we get into the story and I don't wanna specifically look at the miracle happening, I want to look at what's led up to 
getting to the miracle because you got to get lost in the details in these gospel stories because many times we want to rush past the details and just say, oh my gosh, 18,000 people were just fed. But we don't look at the process because Jesus loves the process. We don't love the process. We love the miracle. But honestly, it's, you flip it up on its head. Jesus is more interested in the process. And know this about Jesus' miracles. He never used them for himself. He never just said, I'm going to do this because I'm tired today. I'm going to do this because I'm hungry. I'm going to do this because I'm tired of dealing with people. I, I, all of these things. He, he used his, men, his miracles to bless people. It's important to know about the miracle ministry of Jesus. But you get into this miracle, and it says that they um, are tired from a long day. So they begin to get in boats, Jesus and the apostles, and they begin to head to a place to get some rest. Well, Jesus' miracle ministry was growing, and crowds were constantly following. So these crowds are following, and if you look at the crowds um, of how they were built, it just wasn't religious people. It just wasn't all uh, sinful people. It was a mixture of everyone, homeless people, religious people, critical people, people that had been healed previously at a different uh, meeting where there was a crowd. So there was this crowd that was just following, but it was made up of all different kinds of people to really represent humanity. So this crowd is caught wind of where Jesus and the, and the disciples' boat was going to land. And when the disciples say, the crowd is here, Jesus, again, is tired. You can go and read it, Matthew 7. His response is so important because this is how good your God is. When the disciples told him, here's the crowd, it doesn't say he got annoyed. It didn't say, send him away, I'm tired. It says that he was moved with compassion. He was viscerally changed, his, his stomach churned, because you gotta get compassion is something so deep. That he, something began to turn and leap and, and get excited on the inside of him. His countenance changed. So he was moved to compassion with the crowd. He didn't push away the crowd, he went into the crowd. And as you get into Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all say three different things of what Jesus did when he was moved with compassion. Matthew will say he healed them. Mark will say that he taught them. And Luke will say he taught and healed them. And see, this is important because you got to see the spiritual dimension. Is I love where it says he taught them. Many times we just say, oh, he went and began healing and doing miracles. But the fact that Jesus taught them, he was more concerned in their spiritual malnutrition that if you were to put on spiritual x-ray, you would see a bunch of children with bloated bellies because they're so famished and because they're so starved. So this is what Jesus would see, and he knew the importance of teaching them. Jesus, being a good teacher, would teach for hours. And I can tell you the disciples said, somebody shut this guy up, we're all getting hungry, because they were more in their flesh, right? And so this is actually what happens. Jesus is teaching. Revelation is coming. Lives are changing. There's healing happening. The, the malnutrition is being addressed. And what the gospel records is that the disciples push into Jesus. They say, hey, it's getting late. You're long-winded. Everybody's getting hungry. And so what happens here? He says, um, you know, the disciples say, let's send them away. This is a deserted place, is what the scripture says. This is a deserted place. Let's send them out to go get something to eat. And Jesus says, why don't you feed them? 
didn't agree with him. He didn't say, let's send them out. You're right, there's nothing to eat here. Why don't you feed them? And this is so important because this is a miracle right here in and of itself of what our mission is, of, what, of how we extend when God teaches us, when he heals us. And so he says, we don't have anything. The disciples say that. Jesus, we don't have anything. They said, well, go out and find what you can. We know they come back, they take a boy's lunch, three loaves, two fish, and they bring it back to Jesus. We know the miracle that happens there. But what you see here, and this is how God works. Oh, this is so good. He works in the way of where many times we think he can only work with our surplus when we give him out of the bonuses of our life. But God works and is in the business of working when we give him out of our substance. Because when you give out of your substance, it's a little more costly. When you're relying on that to pay a bill this month, it's gonna, you're gonna feel it a little bit. There's gonna be a little more mystery involved. God, how are you gonna do this? How are you gonna take care of this? Because I'm giving you out of my substance, not out of my surplus. That's easy because you don't need it. And I think a lot of us, we approach God in this. I give out of my surplus what's easy to give, not, ah, there's a little pain in that. It's gonna require a little bit of faith. So they bring the substance, not the surplus. And God does a miracle. And here, going back and read it, it says he takes it, he breaks it, he blesses it, and then he serves it. Where else do you see a meal where he takes it, he breaks it, he blesses it, and he serves serves it? It's a picture of communion. It's a picture of the Last Supper where his body would be broken, his body would be blessed. And I'm telling you today, don't listen to the ignorance of the disciples here where thinking we can go out and find what we need, where Jesus is saying, stay right here because you'll have exactly what you need. Don't believe the lie. You have to go out from Jesus to get what you need. Stay in the deserted place, but you have Jesus and you'll get exactly what you need. I'm telling you, this is a word for somebody today. You're looking, you're searching. Guess what? Jesus is right here. Put your blinders on, fix your gaze, fix your focus. He can supply in the three loaves and the two fish and do a miracle for your life. You know, Amos, the prophet said that there's a famine in the land, which would speak of before Jesus gets on the scene, there is a spiritual famine. Trending again this week, who is Jesus? There is a spiritual famine in our country. And if we can get caught up in the presence of God, get some boldness, get some fire in our bones, then we could actually be a part of the solution, not just complain about everything we see, but go and be the hands and feet of Jesus, be the body of Jesus. What did Jesus tell them? You go feed them. The same echoes today. Guess what the answer is for all of life's problem? Is not praying for Jesus to come down in a mystical way. He's saying, you're my body, you're my feet, you're my mouth, you go feed them but you gotta get caught up in his presence in order to extend it. If you're not caught up in it, you ain't gonna extend it. You're gonna be doing it in your own strength, in your own might, in your own power. So today you're being nourished in God's word, so you shouldn't have an excuse of how am I to go and be the body of Christ. Second story today is the wedding at Cana. This is where we get do what he told you to do. A lot of things happening here. We 
I preached on this earlier in um, last year. But we see this first miracle of Jesus. Again, they don't know the, the disciples, the people with the wedding of Cana don't know Jesus as a miracle worker. First miracle. So he's got no track record of miracles. You read in, in Luke chapter 2, again, the stage is set. Don't rush to the miracle. Look at the details. You'll see Jesus get involved in the process. You'll see Jesus engaged in the wedding. Mary, a good mother, full of genius, uh, is able to just fill the room. Jesus is kind of on one way of mind. And Mary says, hey, they're about to run out of wine. You're the son of God. You can probably do something about this. In shame and honor culture, this would be devastating for the best wine not to be at the end and for the, the party to run out. So we see Mary tell Jesus, hey, they're out. You got to do something. Jesus says, my time hasn't come yet. Mary, being a good mother, kind of helps Jesus out. He goes over, she goes over to the servants in the house and says, hey, do whatever he tells you. It's a point of obedience here. She says, do whatever he tells you. And if you can hear the wisdom of a mother today about your Savior, do whatever he tells you. Let me say it again. Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. What happens in this miracle? Uh, Jesus then tells them, so Jesus gets engaged after Mary's working behind the scene. He then takes the servants from the wedding and say, you need to now go to the well. So there's a wedding and now the servants go to the well. They take these six, there's these six massive jars for ritual purification. So they would have to march to the community well. This would take hours. And these servants would go fill, lower the pitcher, pull it up, take it, pour it in. Lower the pitcher, pull it up, wedding well, wedding well, wedding well, back and forth. And if you're a servant in that wedding, are you, you've not seen Jesus do a miracle, you would say, what in the world are we doing? We're bringing water in, and somehow this is going to be wine? This makes no sense. A little foolish. And I'm here to tell you today, on top of, of what it means to be obedient, sometimes it will look like bringing water when everyone is asked for wine. You're going to look stupid. You're going to look foolish. You're even going to appear disobedient. But guess what? You're following Jesus. You're not fearing man. So they're trusting and obeying. They're bringing, they're filling these pictures up. And, and to even get more scandalous, to even get more crazy, Jesus then tells them, now go and, and scoop a cup out of the water bins and bring it to the master of the house. Now, if a servant were to do that to the master of the house and it were to be water, he could be sent to jail, even killed because of a shame and honor culture. So you've got to think of that servant. There is intense obedience to do whatever he told them to do. Takes the glass. The miracle happens. You've got to see this. The miracle didn't happen when they were just waiting and watching. The miracle happened when he was taking that cup of wine can tell you his hand was shaking and handed it to the master and being like, I'm dead, I'm done. What did the master say? This is the best wine I have ever tasted. You got to know this about your God. He will take the, the minuscule, the minute, the small, the, the poverty of your water, and you put what's little in your hands and the hands of a, of a God who loves you, the God of abundance, the God of more than enough, he can take it and turn your water into his wine. This is how good God is. So we see another meal. 
here, we see the wine representing the new covenant. And again, this is all pushing toward communion and union into a great supper. And I have a series on communion I'll be doing this year that I believe um, from a, a, a confused Protestant lens, we miss out on, on what was instituted by Jesus um, that I believe will enlighten and bring such life to the power that the Holy Spirit brings when we partake of communion together. There's a little teaser for this year. We got a great series on communion coming. So we see these two miracles. We see obedience involved. We see the allegory, the symbolism, the foretaste and the foreshadow that's at play. And we see God take what's little. We take and we see him bring nourishment to the multitudes. We see him take what seems to, to not work or to not fit and to do a miracle at the wedding of Canaan. You know, I was thinking of this scripture because uh, you've got to know when you decide to follow Jesus, you decide to do the most difficult thing you ever do. Following Jesus is, um, is worth it all, but it's the most difficult thing you ever do. That's why anyone who says Christianity is a crutch has never read their Bible because of what is required of you, what is required in obedience. Because your God requires things, but again, don't look at it with the lens of that which is required as an obligation, that which is required by God in a loving relationship, you run to it because it makes you free. It doesn't bind you or obligate you. It frees you. Jesus says this, Matthew 7, you can enter God's kingdom only through a narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide. For the many who choose that way, for there's many that choose that way, but the gateway to life, everyone say life. The gateway to life is narrow. The road is difficult. There's only a few that are gonna find it. Jesus tells us it's narrow it's difficult. Get used to, if you're really following Jesus and obeying Jesus, the world's gonna call you a bigot. The world's gonna call you angry. They're gonna throw shade at you and say, oh, you're one of those people who love Jesus, then you hate everybody else who doesn't. No friend, quite on the contrary, because I love Jesus, I actually love my enemies as well. And I pray for them. And I pray for you, God bless you. Right? The call is much higher. The call is is much greater, but though it be difficult, the obedience is worth it. The crown on the other end is worth it. This life is temporary. Stop living for temporary gain and for temporary things, but let's be a people, let's be a church that lives for his fame, for his glory, for his presence. Let them say whatever they want to say. Let them throw whatever labels they want to throw because we know the day will get darker. It will be harder overtly and covertly to be a Christian. It might actually cost you something in the days ahead. And can you be honest with yourself? Are you ready to pay the cost? Are you ready to be obedient if it costs you something near and dear? But know this, it's narrow, it's difficult. It was narrow and difficult for those at the wedding of Cana, the servants that were a part of the miracle but look how God provided 
He's never late. We know he's never early, but he is always on time. And you serve an on-time God today who's saying, if you'll be obedient, if you'll stay on the narrow path, though it be difficult, there will be provision. You will be provided for. I got a couple questions I want you to think of as we close today. If you just bow your head for a moment, you know where you're not being obedient. I know where I'm not being obedient. You know where God has put gentle crosses on your life and saying, this is where I want you to go. You know where he's used some pain and some suffering to get your attention. If you today, the second Sunday of 2023, if you can listen to his voice and do it, I'm telling you, you're gonna get one step closer to freedom. You're gonna get one step closer to knowing he's with you, that it's not an obligation to lay that thing down. It's not an obligation to move in the direction of living and breathing and moving by God's word, by his ways. We're called to bring nourishment to the world. We're called to bring the bread of life. We're called to bring the wine of this new covenant, that there is inexhaustible love and mercy and joy and peace and forgiveness that is available for those who have sinned, for us who have sinned. So right now in the name of Jesus, we ask for forgiveness of sins where we've fallen short, where we've laid down when we should have stood up, where we were quiet when we should have spoke up, where we maybe spoke up when we should have been quiet, when we should have listened instead of speak, spoke. God, we know we are flawed and we're messy, but your grace is right here to meet us in the middle of the mess. God, let there be a spirit of, of life that we wanna be a wise builder today. We want the foundation of our year to be your word. God, we surrender because what seems like nothing in our hands, when it's put in the hands of Jesus, you can do anything with it. So we place the ideas, we place the dreams, we place the pain, we place the hurt, we place the parts that we're not ready to let go of by your spirit right now. Let us surrender because on the other side is not shame, it is freedom. So Father, we thank you that we be free this year, this day. We ask you, how can we bring heaven to earth today? How can we nourish those that are malnourished? Maybe your marriage is parched, it's dry. Maybe your kids need some nourishing, need to be brought in line, whatever it is. Father, we ask you, where should we be bringing nourishment in our lives? And lastly, we ask, how are you calling me to offer forgiveness, compassion, healing, truth? We know there's a person, we know that there is somebody who needs what you put in us today. 
We want to be caught up in it so we can extend it. God, let us leave here on mission. In Jesus' name we pray. I want to invite you to stand. We're going to take a moment to just worship and allow God to move, allow his spirit to refresh us. In Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We pray it encouraged, uplifted, and challenged you to become more like Christ. We would love to hear from you. You can email your prayer request to prayer at gpcky.com. Loving our podcast? Take a moment and like and subscribe on our YouTube channel to stay up to date with all of our new content. Thanks for listening.